to uh, the book of Galatians. Um, We're still in chapter 1. I did say Galatians, right? Okay. You never know what I'm going to say. I could say Genesis, but they both start with G. There's a a little uh, satirical website that I go to for a, a diversion periodically, and it's a it's called the Sacred Sandwich. I don't know why it's called that, but they posted a while back. They they posted a a little humorous blurb, and it was entitled, "If the Book of Galatians." were written today and published in Christianity today. And then it gave, um, you know, the reader comments. Remember, this is a satire site. But it gave the reader co- reader's comments to, uh, you know, letters to the editor if the book of Galatians were written and published uh, today. So I'd like to read a couple of those, those reader's comments. I, I think they're, they're interesting. And the first one comes from Phillips, Phyllis Snodgrass of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And she would write, Dear Christianity Today, in response to Paul D. Apostle's article about the Galatian church in your January issue, I have to say how appalled I am by the unchristian tone of this hit piece. Why the negativity? Has he been to the Galatian church recently? I happen to know some of the people at that church, and they are the most loving, caring people I've ever met. The next one uh, is written by, I love this, Ed Bilgeway. Um, I don't know how to say that name of that town. But dear editor, editor, how arrogant of Mr. Apostle to think he has the right to judge these people and label them accursed. Isn't that God's job? Regardless of the circumcision issue, these Galatians believe in Jesus just as much as he does. And it is very pharisaical to condemn them just because they differ on such a secondary issue Personally, I don't want a a sharp instrument anywhere near my zipper, but that doesn't give me the right to judge how someone else follows Christ. Can't we focus on our common commitment to Christ and furthering his kingdom instead of tearing down fellow believers over petty doctrinal matters? To which then the editors reply. Editors note, Christianity Today apologizes for our rash decision in publishing Apostle Paul Apostle's expose of the Galatian church, had we known the extent in which our readership and advertisers would withdraw their financial support, we would never have printed such an unpopular biblical truth. We regret any damage we may have caused in propagating the doctrines of Christ. The book of Galatians definitely includes very strong language as, as, we, have, uh, as we have spoken of Already, And the strong language could, as some have suggested, be simply the rantings of an angry old man. Or, as we have put forth, they, the, the harsh language highlights the seriousness of the circumstances to which Paul is addressing. And so today we want to consider verses 8 through 11 and we are in great need of these particular passages of Scripture. The reason we need verses 8 through 11 as a church, the reason we need these is to remind ourselves, first of all, that the gospel of grace is God's gospel. It belongs to God, it comes from God, and it is His. Second, we need to understand as a church that the message that 
the messenger does not validate the message. In other words, just because somebody comes along who is a brilliant speaker or who is popular or who is famous or who happens to speak well, their well-spokenness does not make the gospel, does not make their message true. Rather, the truthfulness of their speech validates them as the speaker. Does that make sense? We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And the next thing we need to know that is important for us is that the gospel of grace is in direct conflict with all claims of self, self-righteousness. The gospel of grace is an affront to all self-righteousness. And so let's go ahead and I'd like to read verses 1 through 10 and then we'll need to do a little bit of a review and then we'll continue on with our uh, look at verses 8 through 11. So Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to begin with verse 1 and I'll go through verse 10. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and the Father, to whom be glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, as we have said before, so I say now again. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And this is the word of God. Well, I'd like to begin with a little bit of a review with verses, reviewing verses 6 and 7. And the reason being is because 6 through 10 kind of forms one unit, one complete thought. And I kind of broke it up. Well, I had to break it up. Otherwise, you would have never left last Sunday. So I broke this one thought up into two, into two separate messages. And so I, we, let's review And it begins with, in verse 6, Paul talking about being amazed. And he's amazed at two things. He's amazed, number one, that the Galatians have deserted the gospel that he brought to them. And and he says, I'm amazed of your desertion, literally your desertion. You have changed sides. You've gone from one side to another. I'm amazed that you would do this. I'm amazed that you would go from the gospel of grace to something else. That's the first thing he's amazed at. The second thing he's amazed at is how swiftly they did this, that it came quickly. In fact, we we talked about that Paul um, went to the Paul and Barnabas and their first missionary journey, went to the churches, established the churches in Galatia. And probably just a couple of years later, the, the, the letter to the Galatians was written. So probably in a couple of years, this these churches went from the truth of the gospel into something else. And Paul is amazed, flabbergasted. We use the word gobsmacked. That is, he's got his hands over his mouth and he is amazed at how quickly they would change allegiances. 
He says that these other Gospels, they're not really Gospels. They may have the title Gospel, but they are not Gospels because they do not save. They are not good news. These are teachings that seek to add to the work of Christ. In other words, Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient for your salvation. You need to add to it. You need to do something to make up for some aspect of the work of Christ that was insufficient to save you. Paul's saying, no, the work of Christ was utterly, completely, 100% sufficient to save you from your sins. You need to add nothing to the work of Christ. Nothing. And let me clarify here. What we are talking about here is Paul is teaching us how a person enters into the kingdom. That is how one becomes a Christian, not how one carries out their Christian walk. So Paul is talking simply about how does one go from dead by reason of their trespasses and sins to alive in God? How does that happen? And that is solely, completely and totally a work of God. One hundred percent. And Paul is saying these other teachers are coming in and they are telling you that you need to do something else and then you can become a Christian. And Paul is saying, those people need to be accursed. There is no other gospel. Anything else that says you must do this and then you can be a Christian brings the work, work of Christ down. It diminishes the work of the cross and it is, it's cursed. It is no gospel. It will not save you. Here's the truth. God called you by, their, by His grace. And it is that gospel that saves. So that's what Paul is amazed about. He's flabbergasted. He's gobsmacked that you would go from grace to something else that is no gospel at all and it will not save you. So he's amazed at that. The second thing that we should consider is that Paul calls these people, certain men have come among you and they have distorted. They have perverted. Literally, they have reversed the gospel. These people have come in, these false teachers have come into the churches. As soon as we left, as soon as, Paul and Barnab- as soon as Paul and Barnabas left, these false teachers came in and they taught the necessity of circumcision. And we see this in Acts chapter 5, verses, um, verse 1 especially. But it says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is what Paul's dealing with. And so people have come in and said, oh, well, Paul, he's, he's a good guy. And, you know. But he's not teaching you right. He's teaching that you're saved by grace. And see, you first need to be circumcised. And then, then you can be a Christian. In other words, you must become a Jew first, then you can become a Christian. And so the issues that Paul is addressing is the issue of circumcision. He's also, as we'll discover uh, later on, he's also dealing with the issue of be, these false teachers are claiming not only circumcision, but you need to observe the Sabbath days and you need to observe the dietary, the Jewish dietary laws. And, and let me make, make clear here. Paul is not anti-circumcision. He is not anti-Sabbath day worship and he is not anti-dietary uh, issues. He's not saying that. I think Paul would simply say, ah, I think Paul would uphold, especially for those with a Jewish background, continue to circumcise your children, continue your Sabbath day observances, continue in 
your dietary laws, just understand, it has no merit for your salvation. You just need to understand that. And if you are not a Jew, if you come from a Gentile background, you, have, there, you are under no obligation to do these things. They do not have any merit whatsoever as to whether you are saved or not. This would be Paul's position. But these people are coming in and they're saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul is putting forth a gospel that saves. And the gospel that saves is this, that a person is justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And let me clarify what I mean. This term justified is a legal term. It is a courtroom term. It was one that would be used in legal proceedings. And it is the declaration that a person is declared not guilty. It is the not guilty verdict. So when Paul says that a person is justified by faith, he is saying that a person is declared not guilty before God by faith. You are not declared not guilty because of circumcision or dietary laws or circumcision plus faith in Christ. Or faith in Christ plus anything. You are declared not guilty by believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's Paul's gospel. So on what basis is one declared not guilty? On the merits of Jesus Christ alone. Paul has already declared very quickly in the book of Galatians, Paul has declared his gospel. And we can piece it together very easily. That the gospel is this. That Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. He rose again according to the will of the Father. That's what Paul has already said. In the first five verses of the book of Galatians, Paul has said that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. That he has risen from the dead and this is according to the will of the Father. You will note that in this justification process, there is no hint of human effort. Paul has eliminated the human component from this and salvation is a work of God. This is where Paul is going in the book of Galatians. All of Galatians is based on this fact. You can see why Paul has such an urgency to declare this message because everything else is a false gospel and it will not save. Everything else will leave the adherents lost. But not only will it leave them lost, it will give them the false impression that they are not lost. And Paul quickly pens this letter to these churches and says there is no other gospel. There is only the gospel of grace that saves. You are not saved by works of your own, but you are saved by God's grace. It is, and grace is God's unmerited favor. It is God's undeserved favor. That is, you did not earn his favor. This is a real challenge to people. We always think that we need to add something to salvation. That there must have been something on my part. And so this is one reason why I do not hold to the idea that God looked down through the corridors of history and saw some merit in you and on that basis saved you. I know that's popular. I believe in unmerited grace. That is, God saved you because God saved you. 
I don't know exactly why he would save a guy like me. Did he look down through the corridors of history and say, well, you know, one day that guy's going to be, you know, he'd be a, a guy, I got a place for him, and he would do a good job there. No. God saved me from before the foundation of the world, and it was an unmerited, undeserved work of grace. Totally and completely. Salvation is of God. And so that's where we've been. Let's consider where we're going. Verse 8. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Well, here we begin to see Paul highlights this idea that the messenger is actually validated by the message. The message validates the messenger. And he gives us two basic scenarios. In other words, Paul is saying that the message is not true because the messenger is well-spoken or charismatic. And I use charismatic not in the um, 1 Corinthians 12 aspect. That is, that he is well-spoken, engaging. And the message is not true because the, me- the messenger is well-spoken. The message is not true because the messenger is famous. The message is not true because it comes from some sort of other supernatural source. The message is not true because it comes from somebody popular. And Paul now gives us two scenarios. And the first one is hypothetical. And I won't go into all of the the language details, but this is a hypothetical situation. Uh, It's very clear that Paul is saying that this is, if this were to happen... If it were to happen, but even if we, or an angel from heaven, even if we... Now, we could probably discuss who the we is. Perhaps the we is Paul and the brethren who are mentioned in in verses 1 and 2. I think, though, the we is referring to the apostles. I can give you my reason later, but I think he's referring to... Even if we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven... That is, if we, the apostles, the leaders of the church, the the spiritual shepherds of the church, the people who've seen the the risen Christ, who have sat under His teaching, even if we, the highest muckety-mucks in the church, even if we were to preach a different gospel, we would be accursed. Even if we, as church leaders, if we were to come to you and say something other than what we have already said to you, we would be way off base. If a pastor comes and preaches another gospel, he's accursed. If a denominational leader comes and preaches some other gospel, he's accursed. If a pope comes and preaches another gospel, he's accursed. If somebody is famous and preaches another gospel, I don't care about their fame. I don't care about their position within a church. I don't care where they rank in the spiritual elite. That is not what validates the message. The message validates the individual. And so the lowest of individuals can come, a beggar can come and preach the truth, and they're preaching the truth. And so 
I know we, we live in a day where we, we idolize famous pe- people. There is even a cult of personality within the Christian realm where people who are on television or radio or write books or teach conferences, somehow they are lifted up. Listen, I am not denying their gift or their ability. Praise God, we have men and women who can speak to masses of people and engage masses of people. Praise God. I just want you to know this. If they preach any other gospel, they are accursed. So I don't know who your fa- favorite person is. I know a lot of you like John Piper. I like John Piper. If John Piper got up here and preached a different gospel, if he wrote a book, a different gospel, he would be a curse. I don't care what else he says. So name your favorite guy or your favorite gal who preaches the gospel. If they were to preach anything else other than salvation by grace through faith, let them be accursed. They're false teachers. And they have no place until they repent. So many times I see on the news, Christians, you know, some Hollywood actor or some musician says something remotely spiritual and they just assign him some great position or her some great position as... You know, oh, look, we're somehow somebody being famous, some Hollywood actor, or some great musician um, says something about Christ. And somehow we think that validates our faith. Our faith is not validated because Bono says something spiritual. All right. We do not need more Bonos. We need people who will get down and share the gospel of truth. Whether they're famous or not. There's some things he said that are great and some things he said that are utter heresy. I don't know his spiritual state. I'm just saying I don't follow him. I like his music, but But the message is not validated because it comes from Bono. We need to leave our idolatry and our cult of personality to the side and discern truth. What is, what is the content of the message? Of the message, not who is who is declaring the message. So the first thing, if we, that is, I believe, the apostles or some great church leader preaches a gospel different than the one we have preached, he's to bring a curse. And now he goes and he says, if we or an angel from heaven, a spiritual being shows up and shares with you something different from the gospel that we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. That angel is accursed. Some spiritual being. I don't think Paul would be denying the experience, but I hear so many people say, oh, you know what, I had this great dream and an angel showed me heaven, fine, whatever. But if the message from that angel is different from the gospel of grace, you received a demonic spirit. That's all it is, because God did not change his mind. God did not give you some little slice of truth. Listen, I know everybody has to be saved by grace through faith, but I'm going to send an angel to you and he's going to work out a side deal with you just for you. And whoever you can get to follow you, let them be accursed is what Paul says. An angelic being. Even if that were possible, he says. If that were to happen. So perhaps you, there are those who 
may have had dreams or visions or some sort of a so-called prophet saying, well, this is what we believe. If it is not the gospel of grace, they're cursed. It's just that simple. You can see, Paul's pretty black and white here, isn't he? He's not leaving a lot of wiggle room. Paul is straight up. We have a lot of people in our community who channel spirit guides. And they say these will give you truth. Well, unless they, if they are preaching any other gospel other than the gospel of grace, they're cursed. That's just the way it is. Paul is very black and white on this. So I, Paul is not denying that somebody may have an experience, some sort of experience like this. I think he's simply saying, though, that if it happens, that message better line up with the gospel of grace because if it doesn't, you've received a lie and you need to abandon that lie. And so let me just mention two, hopefully without offending anyone. Well, I might offend somebody, but... Islam was revealed from an angel. Came from an angelic messenger, and it is not the gospel of grace. And the LDS faith came from an angel, and it is not the gospel of grace. So... It is the gospel. All of those are works-based religions. You must earn your salvation. It is no gospel and it will leave you lost. Let them be accursed. I didn't say that. Paul said it. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, said it. If you've got a problem, talk to Paul, the apostle. His next statement is actually something that is going on again. Uh, the grammar would indicate this is actually something that has happened. The first one was hypothetical. The second one has actually happened, as we have said before. So I say, say now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what he has received, he is to be accursed. And this seems to be actually going on. It's actually occurring. If anyone. This is really typical of the way Paul writes. So oftentimes he, he gives detail and then he kind of gives a blanket statement. You'll remember in Romans chapter 8, he says, for neither death nor life, uh, nor principalities, nor powers. Um, and then he goes, or any other created thing. So he gets this detail and then just to cover his bases, he says, just in case I forgot something, anything else. A similar way Paul is saying, if a, a church leader or an angelic being or anybody preaches the gospel contrary to the gospel of grace, he's to be accursed. And it seems to be this is actually going on. And you'll notice it is the gospel that is received. We should make a note here that the gospel is, God's truth is a revealed truth. It is not a discovered truth. You did not go out and search for it and find it. You did not get it through meditation or emptying your mind. You did not find it by, by seeking for it. God revealed himself. That is how we have received the gospel, that God reveals himself. The Christian faith is a revealed faith. It is not a discovered faith. Paul didn't go and sit in a cave for a while and then just all of a sudden discovered it. Peter did not go out into the wilderness into solitude and discover this great truth. Jesus put on flesh, dwelt among us, and came and called twelve men and revealed the truth of heaven to them. It is a revealed truth. 
Abraham was not looking for God. God looked for him, picked him up, and revealed the truth to him. Moses was out minding his business, shepherding sheep, and a burning bush appeared to him, and God revealed himself to Moses. Moses went up on a mountain, and God gave him the law. He did not go and discover God revealed himself. And the Christian faith is a revealed faith. Everything else, anything else other than the gospel that has been revealed by God is to be a curse. Let me talk a little bit about this idea of a curse because it is a very, 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 uh, can I emphasize it more, very strong term. It is literally the word anathema and you've probably used, heard that term anathema before. It's a very, very strong term. I know I'd already just said that. But it is. Our best way, I think, to illustrate it is from the book of Joshua. And you guys remember Joshua. We just got done with that. And the book of Joshua was originally written in the Hebrew language, but at at some point in time it got translated into the Greek language. And when it got translated into the Greek language, um, this word anathema, was used in a number of very specific places. And so we should pay attention to where they are used. They are, this word anathema is used in the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament in Joshua dealing with Jericho. It's used in other places, but we'll just talk about this one. And you'll recall that Jericho was under the ban. Literally, it was devoted to destruction is what the word means. It was anathema. That is, everything in the city of Jericho was to be devoted to destruction. It was anathema, devoted to destruction. That might be a better term, devoted to destruction. It was banned by God. It was despised by God. It was rejected by God. It had no value to God whatsoever, and it was going to be destroyed. Here's the scary thing. You remember Achan? See, Achan didn't pay attention to the ban. He went and got some of the stuff from Jericho and hid it. And Achan became anathema. Achan became cursed. Achan became devoted to destruction. This is a frightening thing because prior to that, Achan was a member of the covenant community. But by partaking of the things devoted to destruction, he became devoted to destruction. Worthless and accursed by God. So do you see the strength of what Paul's trying to say here? Paul is not, again, he's not mincing words. He's not kind of trying to smooth things over. He is not politically correct at all. If anybody preaches a gospel other than the gospel of grace, he's devoted to destruction. That's what Paul is saying. So, I do not believe for a moment that this is the mere outburst of an angry man. And some have accused Paul, well, Paul's just angry. In fact, that's even why liberal scholars, this is way off track, but even why liberal scholars accept the book of Galatians as having been written by Paul. Liberal scholars reject anything that's been written by Paul, but they all agree that Galatians was written by Paul. And the reason they is because he's so angry. And they figure, well, Paul's an angry man, so he, could have, he would have written a letter like this. And so even liberal scholars think that Galatians was written by Paul. I don't know that it's so, so much angry. I think it's urgent. 
Strong language is used. And there is some, perhaps some anger, but what I see is it's urgent. It is not the outburst of an angry man. It is the urgent, undiluted warnings of a faithful watchman. And we need this because we are presented with so many, with, with the media that we have now, there are so many people saying, this is the gospel. You need to know the gospel. It is a gospel of grace. Paul concludes this thought with this statement in verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of man or of God? Or am I striving to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. The bottom line is grace is offensive. And and that's a strange statement. I love grace. I'll bet you everybody in here loves grace. Right? But grace is really offensive to the self-righteous. It is an offensive truth. Why is it offensive? Or what is offensive? Paul preaches a gospel that removes all self-effort and all self-righteousness. That is, that your justification, that is, your being declared not guilty is totally a work of God. It removes all self-effort. And men, does, men do not like the idea of not having some role to play. There is no room for human merit. I love Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians says this. This is not preaching that gains favor from men and from the world. For the world finds nothing more irritating and intolerable than hearing its wisdom, righteousness, religion, and power condemned. And Paul condemns the wisdom, the righteousness, the religion, and the power of this world. The wisdom and the power of this world says you need to earn your favor from God and grace says your favor with God is unmerited. But I must, God, I must, God, I have to do something. I know some of you are saying here, well, don't I need to repent? Let me tell you this. Your ability to repent comes from God. You say, well, don't I have to have faith? Your faith is a gift from God. So if you have repented and confessed your sins, if you have faith, let me tell you, your initial faith to repent and turn to God, that is all a gift of God. It is grace. Dead men do not do anything. They lay there. And you are dead by reason of your trespasses and sins. But God made you alive together with Him. You are like Lazarus. He stinketh. I'm not saying you st- all smell really nice. Spiritually speaking. And Jesus walks into that tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus did not cooperate with Jesus. What do you think, Jesus? Should I get up now? Or when, when do you, what do you think? There was no cooperation on the part of Lazarus and Jesus. Jesus walked in, said, Lazarus, come forth, and dead men walked. And you were dead by reason of your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive together with him. Your faith, your ability to repent, is a gift of God, and it is by grace. And if that does not bring you to your knees and cause you to weep in joy, I don't know what will. But we like some level of control. And 
a gospel. Paul is not a man pleaser. But a gospel that can be achieved by man is attractive because it allows some control, it allows some ability, it allows a standard that I can achieve. In other words, if I say to you, listen, if you want to be saved, this is what you need to do. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with those who do, and don't watch R-rated movies. You can do that. You can do that. You can achieve that. Every single one of you can do that. And then it's real easy to figure out who's in and who's out, right? Oh, I know you saw an R-rated movie last night. (laughs) You're out. But the gospel of grace is scary because it leaves God completely unchanged, unchained and in control. God is wild and he will do frightening things and he will take you on scary rides. God is totally and completely sovereign and he is in control of things. I don't know about you. I don't mind driving. When we do road trips, I like to drive. Even when we go down to Phoenix, I like to drive. It's not because Simone's not a good... Simone's a great driver. I I have no problem with Simone driving. I just like to drive. I like to be in control. All right. Sorry, I just I just would prefer to drive. But in salvation, I am not in control. I have to completely abandon that to God alone and say, God, you are sovereign and you are in control. That's scary for a lot of people. But Paul is a God pleaser. He says, I would not be a bondservant of Christ if I were trying to please men, but I am a bondservant of Christ and I try to please God. The servant of Christ has Christ as his greater desire. Here's the crazy thing. Here's the paradox of it all. Do you want to be free? I've entitled this series in Galatians the Emancipation Proclamation because Galatians is a, a letter of emancipation. It is a proclamation that you are free in Christ. But here's the paradox. The paradox is if you try, desire to be truly free, you must shackle yourself to Christ. You must have him as Lord. You cannot be free if there is any autonomy in your... If you think you're just going to go your own way and do your own thing. If you want to be free, you will allow yourself to become a servant of Christ. And the one who is shackled to Christ is truly free. I know it's a paradox. I know it makes no sense. You're saying, well, being free is being able to do my own thing when I want, how I want, with whom I want. But the one who's in Christ is free because Christ is Lord and he does what his Lord says. Only then will we be free. And so I'll conclude with this. There is one gospel. There is only one gospel and it is God's gospel. It came from God. It originated with God and there is no plan B. There is no special side deal that he works with somebody else. There is one gospel. It is his. No side deals. No plan Bs. No alternative. No plan 1A. God's plan. The gospel of grace. God does not contradict himself. He does not say, well, I'm going to go out and I'll tell Paul to preach a gospel of grace, but I didn't really mean it. I mean something else to somebody else. God does not contradict himself. Anyone who says otherwise is accursed. And I mean that in the full brunt of the word. A God-centered gospel removes human merit, it removes human achievement, and it makes Christ the author of salvation. Christ is the author and perfecter of our salvation. And men are often pleased with their own achievement. But a God-centered gospel removes human merit. And remember, I'm talking about how one enters into the Christian faith. 
we'll get into, and Paul deals with the ideas, how do I live out my faith once I'm in the faith? But to enter into the kingdom, to step over the threshold, it is grace, all of grace, and it is a work of God. And finally, servants of God are the ones who are truly free. And if you desire to be free, you will shackle yourselves to Christ and become a bondservant of Christ. And then you, like Paul, will be truly free, living in a freedom you've never comprehended until now. So with that, let's stand, let's sing. As we are singing, if God puts it upon